0: The reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anybody about him. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this all quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on the divine things, but on the human things. The Word of God. Please be seated. (laughs) The story makes me think of that wonderful children's book by Sander Boynton called Moo, Ba, La, La. Anybody familiar with that one here? You should be. We're going to read it together. There are animal noises, and I hope you make those animal noises with me, right? A cow says... Wow, this is great. This is going to be a good day. A cow says moo. A sheep says The three singing pigs say, No, no, you say, That isn't right. The pig says, All day and night. Rhinoceroses, You need to make the noise. (laughs) Rhinoceroses, I I don't know. Rhinoceroses snort and snuff. And little dogs go, No, 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 those are big dogs. Little dogs go? Some other dogs go? Bow, wow, wow. And cats and kittens say? Mm Mm-hmm. Quack. Says the duck. What does the duck say? Quack, says the duck. And a horse says? (laughs) I don't know what horse says, nay. Um, It's quiet now what do you say? <laughs> Hello to you too. <laughs> Just like this beautiful and precious story, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus turns the question around and asks us, what do you say? It is a question about identity. And it is one of my favorite um, people to follow on Instagram, thenakedpastor.com. It doesn't have anything to do with nudity, but your soul being naked. This picture, I love, he posted this picture, Jesus gives gifts. Aren't those beautiful gifts? As the disciples are sitting around Jesus, if you cannot see it clearly, uh, the, the boxes with gifts, it's all question marks. And we are in a series called Question Mark, discussing the questions that Jesus asked in the Gospel of Mark. So, let's dive into our story. Jesus heads up to Caesarea Philippi. And in the Gospel of Mark, we have said before that Jesus has three stages to the ministry, the Galilean ministry up to the north. And then as Jesus goes from Galilee all the way south to Jerusalem, on the way is the second part of the Gospel of Mark. So it's up north and then on the way and then at Jerusalem where Jesus' passion happens. Now this city is named after Caesar the emperor and Philip, Philippi, Philip the Tetrarch, who's the son of Herod the Great, named this city Caesar and his own name. Pretty cool. The city was also known as Panaeus uh, because there was a temple to the pagan god Pan, and we know in this city that worship of Baal was something that happened, and there was a cult of emperor worship during the time. So Jesus goes from Galilee to the most north part of Mark's geography in this gospel, um, to have this interaction. And so we see Jesus goes to the city that is built to celebrate and demonstrate worldly power. And it is in this city of worldly power where this question of Jesus' identity is asked and where his true identity is revealed. An interesting choice, Jesus. And so Jesus went on with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And so here we have Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say I am? Who do others say I am? We all have a private self and a public self. And Jesus seems to be interested in what the disciples and what others are thinking. What is Jesus' public self? Now, when the disciples answer and say, uh, you know, John the Baptist or Elijah or a prophet... This is a flashback to earlier chapter, two chapters back in Mark chapter 6. We did not discuss, uh, have a sermon on that. But in Mark chapter 6, we find the story of the beheading of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And so, in John chapter 6, there is confusion in that story over Jesus' identity. And that is there where we find people say, Jesus is John the Baptist, or Jesus is Elijah, or Jesus is one of the prophets. And so in that story, with the beheading of John the Baptist, the, it, the idea is introduced of a prophetic ministry that will end in suffering and death. And so we see here in this question, who do people say that I am? Jesus' identity and the character's various ability to kind of discern who Jesus is, what his identity is, is a theme early on in the gospel. We find it from the beginning. And the disciples and the community fail to understand who Jesus is. The only ones who understand who Jesus are are the spirit voices, demons. And then the voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism. The disciples fail to understand who Jesus is. In chapter 4, they ask, who is this person? In chapter 6, the disciples mistake Jesus for a a ghost. And now in chapter 8, Jesus explicitly is the Messiah, and they are still confused. So, we do care about what others think about us, right? But more important so is what do our close friends and family think about us? And so Jesus shifts this question from others, his public self, to his disciples, his close-knit community, to ask him about his private self. So Jesus moves from who do people say I am to now, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked him, but who do you say that I am? Peter asked him. Uh, Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And then sternly ordered them not to tell anybody about them. And then Jesus began to teach him that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day rise again. He said this all quite openly, or as the Greek says, boldly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So as Jesus moves from the public self to the private self, from what others think about Jesus to what his disciples say about Jesus, we need to remember the context of the gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark can be divided, like I said, into these three broad areas. The the Galilean ministry, where we see there is confrontation. Jesus confronts the scribes, the priests, the Pharisees. And there is confrontation from their side towards Jesus as well. And that is the Galilean ministry. And then we see as Jesus moves from north, from Galilee all the way south to Jerusalem, there's this middle section that is called on the way. Jesus is on the way to the cross. And in this middle section is where we find this question, who do people say I am and who do you say that I am? And then the third section is where Jesus is now in Jerusalem uh, and the Passover week and Jesus' death, um, burial, and resurrection. So this is the context of this uh, question. It is literally at the middle, the center of the gospel. But there's something interesting for us to note here that this gospel story, this middle section, is sandwiched by two stories about blindness. And so just before Jesus asked this question in a place of worldly power about who do people say and who do you say that I am, it is introduced by the story of the blind man at Bethsaida. And that story, if you remember, is actually about two healings. It's one healing, but it's two phases. Jesus heals this man and asks him, can you see? And he's like, ah, I can't really. And then Jesus heals him further so that he can see clearly. The Gospel of Mark is trying to make a very important point. We see, but we don't see. We need Jesus' healing. And then on the on the back end of this part of Jesus going on the way is another story of blind Bartimaeus, who gets healed from his sight as well. And so we see, structurally, this passage is in the very middle of the gospel, and it is about seeing, seeing that following Jesus means following him from Galilee to Jerusalem. But it is not just the middle of the gospel, it's also the center, the heart of this story, This portion, on the way, reveals who Jesus is, the destination of his journey, which is Jerusalem, and what it means to follow Jesus. Take up your cross and die. Next week's sermon from Pastor Raywin. It is about a revelation of Jesus as it happens on the way. And so the central question of Mark, who am I, is sandwiched by these blindness stories. To let us know that this is all about seeing and not seeing. Because up to this point, it's been more about not seeing than seeing. <laughs> Jesus had fed the miraculous bread from heaven to 4,000 and then 5,000. But do the disciples understand what this is all about? Last week's sermon. Jesus had restored the sight of the blind and hearing to the deaf, but do the disciples really see and hear him? Jesus had preached the kingdom of heaven is near and repent and believe and exercise demons, but do the disciples know what way they are walking? Seeing and not seeing is the context of this very central question in the gospel of Mark. Who do you say that I am? And so we see here, for the first time, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, Peter affirms that Jesus is the Messiah. Demons had affirmed that, and and, and one other uh, Gentile affirmed that. But up to this point, in eight chapters, we've not had a disciple affirm that Jesus is the Messiah. So here it happens in the first time, and then we see that Peter gets it all wrong. He does not see. Here's a beautiful uh, outline uh, that one of the scholars in the, in the commentaries had given us of this passage. <laughs> Peter, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus, shh, Peter. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of Man must suffer. Peter, shh, Jesus, Jesus, shh, Peter. And then we can summarize that Jesus silencing or rebuking Peter as Satan's spokesperson, just like Jesus had earlier did with the demons, two weeks ago, sermon. Peter calls Jesus, Messiah, you are Messiah. And we see that naming does not define. You see, we can say the name Messiah while denying the true nature of Messiah. We can use the title Messiah while denying the transformation that the Messiah demands. We can get the answer right, but the question wrong. Jesus tells Peter not to tell anybody about this shh, and then immediately pivots to tell that the Son of Man must suffer and die before being raised to life. And by the way, when Jesus uh, does this, the gospel says, Jesus does this quite openly. Like I said, in the Greek, it is boldly in contrast with Jesus telling them to be quiet. And Peter cannot accept or understand this Messiah. Because there was a certain expectation for what Messiah is to be. And we have the similar problem between expectation and reality. For Peter and many of the Jews, there was the expectation of the long-promised Messiah. As we sing during Christmas, Come the long-expected Jesus And we have the words, born to set thy people free. There was an expectation, long promised Messiah, who would fulfill God's promise to Israel and deliver Israel from all her troubles, including the Roman oppressors. For some, this would be through miracles, some miraculous way, and for others, it would be a violent overturning and revolt against the Romans. We see at the end of the Gospel of Mark that that's precisely the charge against Jesus. Reality, expectation versus reality. Expectation, you are the Messiah. Jesus, Messiah, must suffer. Reality. And so we have this tension between expectation and reality. And we see that when we believe our expectations while denying our reality... There's tension and a double standard in our lives. And in our lives, we all wrestle with expectations and reality. (laughs) It made me think of this NPR article that I read this week. Um, It's called, An Illustrated Guide to Double Standards of Parenting. Does that sound exciting to you? An Illustrated Guide to the Double Standards of Parenting. Here is the first one. Dad brings fast food home and is called a fun dad. Mom brings fast food home and is called a lazy mom. Still with me everybody? <laughs> Do you want to hear more? <laughs> Illustrated guide to double standards. Dad is on his phone Pushing the stroller and as a present dad, mom is on her phone pushing the stroller and is an inattentive mom. Expectations and reality. Dad drops off the child to school and as an involved dad, mom drops off the kid to school and as a working mom. Ooh, everybody's quiet. (laughs) One more. Dad goes to the playground and plays on the swing. And as such a good dad, mom goes to do the same as a run-of-the-mill mom. An illustrated guide to the double standards of parenting and discipleship. There's expectation and there's reality. And we don't have time to even delve into the societal challenges and the patriarchal structures and the systems that make this possible. Expectation versus reality. Peter shouts out the expectation. You are the Messiah. The obvious, the norm. What society is hoping for and thinking. But he is just plain wrong. Whether it is mom or dad or Messiah, underneath all of this is a reality that subverts and transforms our expectations. There are titles to be sure, but underneath the titles is truth of a different reality. We should be quick to admit that Peter's definition of Messiah is usually the one we prefer. With me? Peter's definition of Messiah is the one we usually prefer. Peter, we, and just about everyone will ever know, want a strong God, a God who heals our illnesses, a God who provides ample prosperity, a God who guarantees our security, even a God who urges our military and helps the, the Rams win. Football players thank God for making that possible. Poor Bengals, where was God there? A powerful God is what we want, who is greater than any other. One of the greatest dangers is to read this passage like we are the people in the know and we are not like the disciples. Because, friends, we want that same Messiah. We want the Messiah who will deliver and conquer, not the Messiah who will suffer and be with us in suffering, and even call us to suffering. Expectation and reality. We do not want reality. We focus so often on converting the non-Christians that we fail to convert Christians to Christianity. Thank you, Lucas. (laughs) Hey, and that's us. And so Jesus comes into the story to deliver them and us from our Messiah complexes. Jesus says, Messiah must suffer. While we're looking for God who gives us victory and generally makes us happy, healthy, and wise. But that is not what Jesus offers. Jesus points to a God who meets us in vulnerability... In suffering and in loss. A God who meets us in those moments when we really need God, when all we had worked for and hoped for and expected for fall apart, and we realize that we are quite simply just mortal, incapable of saving ourselves and desperately in need of a God who will meet us where we are. Jesus' identity. Proves elusive precisely because God shows up just where we expect God the least. Which means that we don't get the God we want, but the God we need. Messiah must suffer. Expectation versus reality. Now we need to understand what suffering Jesus is talking about. This is not uh, like C-3PO, the human cyborg droid from Star Wars, that says at one point, we droids seem to be made to suffer. It is our human lot in life. Can't do it as well as Steve does it. We droids seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. The droids suffer from the harsh treatment because they are machines and an afterthought in their galaxy. So C-3PO adopts a woe is me attitude and expects suffering because he's worth nothing more. This is not the kind of suffering that Mark advocates and calls us to. Jesus does not suffer and die because suffering is good. Jesus suffers because of the way Jesus lives. Jesus suffers because of the way he lives, not because suffering is good. How does Jesus live? He lives in a way that subverts the social and religious norms. He lives a life that reaches out to those who are ostracized, that reaches out to the unclean and the, un, uh, the marginalized. He heals, he feeds, he sets free. Jesus suffers not because suffering is good, but because embracing good results in suffering. I shall say that again. Jesus suffers not because suffering is good, but because embracing good results in suffering. Reality. The cross was for Jesus not simply a divinely appointed destiny, it was a choice. Jesus, fully human as one of us, had to choose moment by moment, day after day, right up until the point of his death and his crucifixion to accept the excruciating calling of God on his life. It was never assumed, it was never automatic, and it was never easy. Jesus was daily tempted to be another kind of Messiah, valorized, powerful, admired, and victorious. And now, here from his very own disciples, he hears those tempting words Be the expected Messiah, Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Mark makes it plain. Only as the suffering son of man is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah will be vulnerable. Jesus the Messiah will be on his way to the cross in Jerusalem. Jesus the Messiah, his crowning will not be a worldly crown, but a crown of thorns. And his death will be on a cross. And so Jesus has to strongly rebuke Peter and say, Get behind. And just like Jesus silenced the demons in Mark chapter 5, Jesus silences Peter. So Jesus asks the question Who do you say that I am? It's not so much about identity as identification. This question, who do you say I am, is not so much about identity as identification because who you say I am is at the same time who will you say that you are. When Jesus asks, who will you say that I am, it's the question to us, who will you say we say that we are. That's the heart of the difficulty and the tension of this question. If we only had to provide an answer to Jesus' question about his identity, that would be one thing. But answering the question of Jesus' identity is also having to give a voice to our very own identity. Who Jesus, who you say Jesus is, is who you have decided to be. You can't answer Jesus' question without revealing who you are. And who you are reveals who you have decided Jesus to be. Jesus' question, who, who do you say I am, it's not a test. It's not about getting the right answer, it's the moment when you come face to face with your own commitment, your own discipleship, your own identity. It's the moment when you have to admit to what extent how you have followed Jesus actually connects with some sort of confession of who you believe Jesus to be. Who do you say I am? It's also a question we should ask of others, of ourselves. Who indeed will people say that we are? Are we willing to ask that question? Or do we stay silent, afraid of what people might say about us? Perhaps worried that the truth will be said? Who do you say I am? is a central question in the Gospel of Mark. And it's a central question for the disciples, and yes, for us. Are we willing to risk being known for what we believe? One last thing about this question. Who do you say I am is also not a singular answer. And this is one of the things that Peter got wrong. Who you say I am is not a singular, does not demand a singular answer. Singularity and simplicity is not the answer to the question. In fact, it is the danger of answering this question. When we boil it down to singularity, to one-dimensional thing. See, who Jesus is is not an easy matter. Jesus, on the way, he heals, he advocates, he delivers, he forgives, he educates, he subverts, he suffers, he includes, he feeds, he questions, he submits. Jesus is all of this and more. There's a danger in a singular answer to this question, who do you say I am? And part of the failure of Peter, to narrow it down to one view. made me think of this uh, article that I read this week again about Black Women Photographers Collective. In the Black Women Photographers Collective, um, they awarded prizes to black female photographers for their work. And one photographer, Tiffany J. Sutton, won a $10,000 award for her work. You see, growing up in the Midwest, she found herself in predominantly white spaces. She began photographing black women as a way of reconnecting to a part of her own culture that she felt was missing and to talk about social movements. Now her abstract photography pushes the boundaries and challenges the notion of limitation that had been placed on black women. She says she uses multiple exposures, as you can see in the picture here, if you look at more closely, it's multiple exposures, exposures, a little blurry. She says she uses these multiple exposures as a way to talk about the complexity of black women in their minds, spirit, bodies, and personalities, because for too long, black women have been painted with a singular brush. And this is what she says, she says she wanted to show the multitude that's within us so we're not just stereotypically believed that we're a monolith. We're all of these things and more. Her work is beautiful and it is challenging. And so in her work, she challenges this one-dimensional perspective of a black woman through her award winning photography. See, there is no one fixed answer to this question who do you say I am? Jesus is not defined by one title, but Jesus is defined by all the complexity and adventure of his own calling and following God's Spirit. Jesus has children on his knee, and Jesus overthrows tables in the temple. Jesus retreats to be alone, but he also hangs out with 4,000 and 5,000 serving them. Jesus heals the sick, but he also calls out the sick of the religious leaders. Who do you say I am? Jesus is all of that. There's danger in the singularity of an expected Messiah and so here is the invitation Jesus identity is continuously revealed and it becomes clearer and clearer who Jesus is on the way and we are along with the disciples invited to continuously follow Jesus See, when Jesus asked them, who do you say I am, the verb that is used there, he asked, the verb implies in Greek, continuous action. So we should really translate it, he asked them again and again. As much as there is a danger in a singular answer to a question, there is danger in asking a singular question. One time, Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? again and again and again. And the journey of a disciple is not a fixed destination, but a continuous journey. Disciples, discipleship is not about getting there, it's about the path that you're on and the company you have on your path. Are we willing to risk following Jesus on the way of love and grace and forgiveness and healing, inclusion, transformation, and yes, suffering? Are we willing to be on the way with Jesus and all that that entails? But Peter fails to understand who Jesus is. And if I were the master, I'd kick him out of the class. Because we've had eight chapters of him journeying along with Jesus. Peter fails to understand, and it could be the end of his discipleship tenure, but on the way is the essence of of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus does not abandon his disciples, he accompanies them on the way. The disciples' failure to understand does not disqualify them from discipleship as long as they're willing to be on the way with Jesus. The beautiful thing is that Jesus three times in the Gospel of Mark has to remind them that the Messiah has to suffer. In Mark 8.31 in our text here, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer. The next chapter, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer. And the following chapter, Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, Messiah must suffer. Jesus could kick them out and say, you're done, but Jesus is all about being on the way. Jesus wants us to move and to grow with him. And in fact, the beautiful thing is that Peter becomes the, the leader of the disciples. And we see this in the conclusion of the Gospel, Mark 16, verse 7, when Jesus is resurrected, there's an angel at the empty tomb who tell the woman who came running to see Jesus... But go tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter is signaled out. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee, where you will see him just as he told you. Peter's blurting out, You are the Messiah. Singular and wrong is not the end and the final word. Here in the story, in fact, it is the beginning of his discipleship following Jesus on the way. And so we are left with this question Who do you say that I am? In a world of titles and names, how do we go beyond that? Where when people ask us who we are, or ask us what our identities who we are, we talk about things like what I do for a living, my job, or how old I am, my age, or your views, what you believe. Or when people ask you about who you are, you tell stories of yourself. Or when people ask you about yourself, it may be where you live. When people ask you about yourself, we may talk about money and our monetary value. Or we may talk about status, what we know. Or we may talk about education, uh, where we studied. In a world of titles and names, how do we go beyond this? Who am I? Who are you? Mark's story tells us we reject a world of titles and status. We reject a world of one-dimensional singularity and continuously follow Jesus on the way to and through the cross. As we think about this question, who do you say I am? I want to close with a beautiful poem written by Uriah Mountain Dreamer called The Invitation. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dream, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow. If you've been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear and furthered pain. I want to know if you can sit with your pain, mine and your own without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine and your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fool you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, to be realistic, to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you are telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself, if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul, if you can be faithless and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it is not pretty every day and if you can source your own life from its presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand at the edge of the lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes. It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can uh, get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and uh, and do what needs to be done to feed the children. It doesn't interest me who you know or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else fades away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. Who do you say that I am?